0: Amen. Leviticus chapter 23. I'm going to start looking at the worship of the Lord. I remember it was in the 1970s, I think it was in the later 1970s, that Bob Dylan wrote a song. Uh, He wrote it during what was referred to as his born-again period, and the song was called, you Got to Serve Someone. He sang, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve someone. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So as we've been looking at this concept of sanctification in the book of Leviticus, we must understand that if I am separated from the world, then I will be connected to the Lord. But if I'm separated from the Lord then I'm going to be connected to the world and the things of the world. Now, confusion really comes, especially within the body of Christ, when one says that they are sanctified to the Lord, but in actuality, they're still connected to the world as, well, you see the worldliness in their lives. God desires all of us. God, Jesus on the cross, gave all of Him to be crucified, to take our sin upon Him, and He desires all of us in return. Remember, we were bought with a price, and the price was with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had some pretty strong words, or will have, I guess, some pretty strong words for such people in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, when He says, I know your works. And that was the conviction to each one of those churches. And he can say the same thing to our church, and he can say the same thing to us as individuals. I know your works. I mean, just think of that. You stand before the Lord one day. I know your works. I know what you did and why you did it. I know the motivation behind the actions that you took. I know your works. And he says to this church at Laodicea that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. It's as if you would have more respect. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The chief way that a person worships the deceiver is by acting out in the flesh the chief way that we worship the Lord is by acting out in the spirit. I can see this concept and I see people who are worshiping the Lord and I see Christ likeness in their lives. I see how just as truly as the thing that they say glorifies God, the things that they do glorify God as well. That's the Lord's desire that people would see Christ in us. But on the other hand, you can see the ways of the world and again, the deceiver and Maybe the best place to see it is in the false gods that were fashioned from so long ago. I looked at the list in just a small cross-section, but what did man make a god of back in the day? He made gods of the things of his flesh and her fleshly desires. Aphrodite, that was the goddess of love, beauty, and desire. Ares, the god of war, bloodshed, and violence. Athena, intelligence and wisdom. Demeter, harvest and grain, Dionysus, drunkenness and partying, Hades, death, Hera, marriage and childbirth. And again, all of these gods made towards flesh and the things of the flesh, the things that man worships. In contrast, Yahweh, He teaches me to die to my flesh so that I would be able to live to the Spirit. The deceiver or the Lord, either way, you're going to be all in. And again, we get into the book of Leviticus. The law has just been given. And again, this is God in essence saying, this is what is necessary that I would live among you. And obviously Israel would be very desirous of this because they've seen the great things that God has done in delivering them from Egyptian bondage and as God has kept them as they've gone through the wilderness, but they know that they're an unworthy people. And even as they hear the law, and there's an excitement of it back in Exodus chapter 20, all that you say, we will do. But they had to know that they couldn't do that. And God definitely understood it. So as soon as the law is given in Exodus, right away we have Leviticus. And in Leviticus, we have the solution for sin. Solution for sin. The things that are necessary to be done so that God would remain with us, that God would remain being their God. And what we've seen so far first is in chapters 1 through 7 is the way to God is through the sacrifice. Again, this is for those who desire to worship the Lord. Secondly, the work of the priests in chapters 8 through 15. Then we saw believers walk with the Lord in chapters 16 through 22. Now, lastly, in the final five chapters, we'll close out this book, not tonight, probably in the next couple of weeks, though, looking at the worship of our God, looking at the worship of the Lord. Chapters 23 through 25 are the holy times of worship. Chapters 26 and 27, holy obligations for worship. But nonetheless, that which results in the worship as well, the reduction of self and the giving of glory to God. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, 24, King David understood the concept. He feels God has laid it upon his heart to build the temple, but then he's told that he's not to be the one. And so he sets himself about accumulating all the materials. And then he goes to get the land, and he speaks to this one particular man, and the man says, I'll give you the land. And then David has this great response in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. He understands that worship's going to require something. It's going to require something. Not a dead work, but just a a heart that desires to offer up to the Lord that which the Lord has first given to us. We're going to be celebrating communion on Sunday morning, and that's the essence of what the communion meal is. Once again, just offering to the Lord that which the Lord has already given to us in those elements and realizing what Jesus Christ, what He he accomplished upon the cross. And then the consumption of it, that this would become part of me and I would offer myself up because, Lord, You have first offered Yourself for me. And again, as Christ was all in upon the cross, I need to be all in in this life. Psalm 29, 2, Give unto the Lord the glory, do His name. Can you imagine that? Meditate on that for a while. Give to the Lord the glory, do His name. I'd have to consider, is that even possible? But as all the Lord asks, is that I would make forth, put forth the effort, to give him the glory that is due his name. His name, his name is gracious, his name is love. His name is, well, it's just been so much in all of our lives and I need to glorify him for who he is. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And so as we get into chapter 23, it's going to focus upon certain sacred seasons throughout the year. And what we'll see is, is first the weekly Sabbath, And then we're going to see seven appointed feasts. Now, we're not going to go in and we're not going to dissect every feast in detail. But really what I want to look at, I want to look at these feasts and I want to look at the resulting aspect of the worship of God today. The worship of God today and the things that these feasts represent. They point us in particular directions. Now, they're very rich and they mean so much to the Jew, to the church and all of these things. And we're not going to spend a month in this chapter But really what I want for today is how does this relate to us today here at Calvary Chapel, Ontario? And again, we're just going to be scratching the surface. And so in chapter 23, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, you shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. And so God, God wants, wants me to worship Him. And He wants me to worship Him by the keeping of the feast. And the first thing that we look at is this keeping of the Sabbath. The worship of the Lord through the rest from our works. To set aside all of the busyness to set aside how we can so consume ourselves and let's even think best case scenario here at church, involved in the work of ministry. God's called me and I'm faithful. We just had that whole lesson last Sunday morning. I'm faithful and I'm gonna remain faithful in what he's called me to and we can get immersed in the ministry to such a degree that we squeeze out the relationship with God or at least we forget about the relationship with God. And no longer are we doing it because of what the Lord has done in our lives. We're doing it because this is what I do. And I can be like that. I can do it because this is what I do. I have to check my heart before every study that I do that it's not just something that I do, that this is what the Lord is calling me to do and that I'm glorifying Him through the study of God's Word and then the giving of God's Word. And so God is saying, you need to take some time and you need to rest. You were not to tend your business on this day, You were not to make sacrifices at the tabernacle on this day, and you were not to really engage in any other activities on this day. Now, the Jews took it to ridiculous proportions during Jesus' day, but his desire is is that we would rest. Now, again, there are 613 commandments, so you've got six other days that you can fill your mind with all those and the keeping of those. This day, just one, rest, rest, rest. But may your rest be in in the Lord. We kind of took this concept for a period of time anyway into the church and it filtered into society. As I've said before, I grew up in the 60s. And on the 60s, on a Sunday, there was very few businesses open, if you remember. if I remember I was supposed to mow the lawn, and if I didn't get gas before that Sunday, then I couldn't mow the lawn on Sunday because the gas station was closed, at least the local one was closed. And then man started to realize this can be a catch-up day. And all of a sudden, people would start working and more and more things are going on. And now even children's athletics are going on on Sunday. No longer is it separated from the Lord. Now, don't get confused. That's not the Sabbath. And I'm not saying it's the Sabbath. But it was a day that we had set apart from the Lord as a society. Well, this is the one. The Sabbath is a rest, which would be on a Saturday. It would be the seventh day that was to be set aside as worship for the Lord. Now remember, man was made in the image of God. And so look at the example that God set. It's in the book of Genesis that we see the advent of the Sabbath during creation in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1-3. through three. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it or set it apart because in it he rested from all of his work which God had created and made. This tells me that man was made mentally and physically to work. We have to work. It's part of the curse in Genesis chapter 3, but there's a uniqueness about this curse in that you've got to enter into it because, well, society doesn't have a whole lot of respect for people that, that don't work, unless you're retired, but... You've got to work because there's just so much of the blessing of God in that. There's the provision for the family. There's just this the, the, this knowledge. Well, there's just this knowledge of of being in the will of God. There's nothing like working a, a day, a hard day's work, and, and and knowing that you've been successful in a project or what God has set before you, or whatever it might be. And so man, mentally and physically, was geared to work, but it's just as necessary to take One day off out of seven at least. As man would take that day, the rest that he would take would be in remembrance of God. In remembrance that it was God who gave him the job. It's God who is working His provision to that family through the work that He's given. And again, taking time to set aside and to to have faith in God to have faith that God is going to provide for me and to rest in God knowing that as He's provided for me these past six days, I take this day of rest that the work will still be there or the provision will still be there. It's kind of interesting that as the Jews were wandering in the wilderness and God was raining manna down, the day before the Sabbath, they were told to take a double portion because they were not to go out and to gather the manna the, the day of the Sabbath. I often wondered, did it still rain down though on the day of the Sabbath? Did the, did the manna still come down? Because I know that would, be, that would be a hard test of faith for me. Here, I'm resting, and look at all that manna out there. It's all out there just for the getting. Just for the getting. And, and you know what? You can make every excuse in the world that you should go out there and get it, and there were people who did that and were stoned because they did do that. But again, just looking at what we have given to the Lord. My wife and I, a long time ago, we decided to worship the Lord and dedicating Sunday to God. It was a day when I was working and when I was an electrical contractor that we just determined that we weren't going to work on that day. We were going to go to church, we were going to serve the Lord, and we were going to find our rest in the Lord. And it was a day that God enabled me. Because again, that Sunday for me was always a catch-up day. If there was a job that I just had loose ends on, I would take the Sunday because there was no traffic, there was nobody else on the job, and it was usually pretty quiet and pick up the loose ends or do some stuff in the office or whatever it might might be. But then we gave that over to the Lord, and the Lord blessed it. But again, I can remember one day, for some reason I determined that I needed to work on that one Sunday. Now, if you work on Sunday, that's between you and the Lord. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm just saying my wife and I, We made that decision. And so we had this job down at Fleur Corporation, down at, I think it was the 55 and the 405, down over there somewhere. And I remember I went down there. I I went to church in the morning, so it was okay. And, uh, And I went down there, and I remember it took me like an hour to get into the building. The person was supposed to meet me, didn't meet me. I got in there. I was missing material, and it was just a complete disaster. And I remember God was reminding me. Remember, you gave this over to me. He said, "I never asked for. It. I never asked it from you. I never told you to do that. That is some manner in which you said that you wanted to worship me through service and through rest. And I blessed it. And now you entered in and you brought your works into that. And what happens when we bring our works into God's blessing? It negates the blessing that God wants to bring. And so, God, as we." find our rest in Him, and we find our rest from dead religious works in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's then that we find a blessed life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also, I saw, was from the hand of God. We know that the Sabbath also pointed to the rest that we have in the finished work of, of Christ upon the cross in that there is no more to be done. So in our worship of the Lord, human effort is necessary, but it's secondary to divine interaction. And so there's that rest. But the problem is, problem is sin had entered into the equation because in actuality, that's what a, um, Adam should have been doing, just enjoying God and resting in the Lord. But then sin entered into the equation. And so because sin entered in, Something need to happen. And so God wants us to remember that. And so we've got this picture of the Passover. Verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord. Holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Most of us know what the Passover is. Israel's in Egyptian bondage. The plagues come. Moses says, Let my people go. Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. And so God tells Moses, Take this lamb, this lamb without blemish, and to sacrifice it and smear the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses. And every house that has the blood of the lamb smeared upon it, when God brings judgment, the angel of judgment will fly over that house. Hence, Passover. We are to never forget where we came from and who it was who delivered us from that former life. And so this Passover was to be celebrated throughout all of the generations. And really the Passover, what we need to see in that tonight, the Passover speaks of man's redemption through Messiah's blood. That again, I was in a helpless, hopeless condition just as surely as Israel was in Egypt. And it was by the mighty hand of God, by the finger of God, that man was set free. And really, there was nothing special Jew or Gentile had to smear the blood, had to be covered by the blood of the lamb so that I would not receive the judgment of God. The Passover, the Passover was one of three celebrations which were required by all Jewish males 20 and over to present themselves before the Lord. It was necessary for them to celebrate this in Jerusalem. That's why when Jesus, in His triumphal entry, there were so many people in Jerusalem at that time There's because it was the Passover season and Rome was a little antsy because you had all of these young males of military age all congregating in one place. There was rumors of a Messiah coming and and insurrections happening and all of these things. In Deuteronomy 16.16, it says, three times a year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord your God And the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which would include the Passover, at the Feast of Weeks and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. And so the Passover, we know what it involves. It involves the selection of a lamb. That would be a lamb without spot and a lamb without blemish. This is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ because, again, on that day of triumphal entry, the original Palm Sunday, That was the day that the families were to receive their lambs. And so those who do the math, I don't know how close this is to reality, but estimated there was close to 2 million people in Jerusalem on that day, that day of Jesus' triumphal entry. Now, just a portion of them were probably there with the palms and all of that stuff, but nonetheless, 2 million people doing all the proportions and all of that as far as a lamb per how many people and all that, they figured there was close to 200,000 lambs without blemish, without spot, that needed to be brought into Jerusalem that day. And so, again, you've got the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world coming in the midst of the Sea of White. You've got all of those lambs, perfect, without blemish, but the only thing that they could do, and they represent all of the sacrifices from all of the ages, the best that they could possibly do, be to cover sin. as I've said so many times, the problem with covered sin is maybe it's going to become uncovered. maybe I'll be revealed for who I am. But then just think of that writing in the midst of all of that perfect, the white background is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. who takes my sin as far as the east is from the West. When Christ takes your sin from you, it will never be seen again. And it's the great hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that when I come and I enter into the presence of God, there's not going to be the remembrance of sin. There's not going to be the uncovering of sin, but there's going to be the welcoming of a son, welcoming in his son, my good and faithful servant. The Passover, the Passover, it involved a selection of a lamb. It also involved the sacrifice of the lamb. Because of sins, something needed to die. A price needed to be paid. We've got that very first picture back in Genesis when Adam and Eve, they sinned. And what did they do? First of all, they tried religion. It was just a bunch of fig leaves. They covered themselves with fig leaves. And again, I just have this image in my mind. The Bible doesn't say this. The apple got a bad rap here. Most people think it was an apple tree that they ate off of. I personally believe that it was a fig tree. Because, I mean, put it together. They ate off the fig tree. They were told not to. God comes and they got fig leaves all over them. Isn't that how you feel when you sin? When you're convicted of your sin? Don't you have your sins stuck all over you? It's just so obvious. I personally believe, I don't know if that's true or not, but I just like to think that anyway. Well, that was their... That covering was their attempt at religion, and it's all it speaks of man's sinful attempt at trying to deal with sin, and he just can't do it. And God's saying, You're going to need some seat covers here, some lambskin seat covers. And it says he made garments out of lambs. But again, how do you get the skin off a lamb? You've got to kill the lamb. Again, just think of it up to that point, they have never seen death, they've never experienced death, the death of anything. I often wonder did the leaves on the tree even die? Because death did not enter in until sin entered in, and so you 've got these lambs, and I, I can just imagine based upon how the sacrifice the sacrifices that we 've seen, I can just see God having Adam hold that lamb because again, we saw there was the transfer of sin onto the to the animal and then have that animal brutally killed in his sight. Just think of what. His, his his vision of death for the very first time, not understanding even what death is as it happened before his eyes and how horrible. And the idea is, is, because of your sin, this is what needed to happen. And we see Jesus Christ upon the cross and we see him shredded upon the cross and those nails hammered through. We see the blood flowing and the torture that is occurring. And again, it's because of my sin that that needed to happen. And so... It, there's its killing and there's the application of blood in 1 Corinthians chapter five verses seven through 8. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so the Passover, the Passover was the selection of a lamb. It was the sacrifice of a lamb, and it was the supper of the lamb. The eating of it symbolizes the receiving of it. It was not to be left because, again, God's sacrifices were not to be left to rot. But there was the family that was to partake of this lamb. And the idea is, is they're consuming of it. And again, this lamb has such a profound effect on my life and my belief. I consume it. And again, it's what we're going to be celebrating on, uh, on this Sunday. In 1 Corinthians 11:24 24 through 25, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, speaking of obviously of the uh, the bread and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So I hold that bread in my hand and I eat it. Now, this is not Christ. It's just representative, a representative of his body that I believe that Jesus Christ came as a man because of man's sinful condition to such a degree as I eat this. It becomes part of who I am. Remember John Ashcroft? I think he was the Attorney General, wasn't he? During George Bush's day. And I remember they were all upset because he was a Christian. And they were worried about his Christianity affecting the decisions that he made. And there was this big debate. Of, would they affect it? Would they not affect it? I was a Christian. How could it not affect it? Doesn't what you believe affect the things that you do and how you think and all of that? And that's the idea of this communion. As I consume this, this becomes part of who I am. And again, there's the drinking of the juice here, but the blood, and as I consume the blood, I truly believe to such a degree that this has become part of me that this blood has washed my sins away. So you've got this rest, but the rest the rest is interrupted by sin. Because of sin, there needed to be a sacrifice. And so we looked at the Sabbath and we've looked at the Passover. Next is the feast of worship. Next feast of worship is the feast of unleavened bread. Verses six through eight. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. This is how sometimes the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover get kind of stuck together because the Passover was on the 14th, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was on the 15th. This would be a feast on the day after Passover that speaks of the removal of all sin. It's bread, but the bread the bread has no leaven. What does leaven do? Think of yeast. It has an influence in the bread. This bread does not have that influence. Leaven in the Scripture is a picture of the influence of sin. So looking at this progression, it only makes sense. Once the sacrifice of the perfect lamb is made, sin has been dealt with forever. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Keep in mind that these feasts were to be done in faith or doing without always understanding. Without always understanding what they were leading to and what they were pointing to We can look back in the word of God and understand these things. So man's rest, interrupted by sin. But there's the Passover. There's the price made for sin. Then the feast of unleavened bread. Now that sin has been done away with, we are free. We are free indeed. Then the next feast that we come to is the feast of first fruits. Verses 9 through 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. It's just a wave offering, just simple, just waving it before the Lord. There was a heave offering. Heave offering was just moving it back and forth. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it, and you shall offer on that day when you... Uh, "'Wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish, "'as a burnt offering to the Lord. "'Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, "'an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, "'and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. "'You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain "'until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. "'It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations,' in all of your dwellings the first of fe- first <laughs> the feast of first fruits the idea behind first fruits is that these that you hold in your hand at that point the first fruits that you harvest these these you will give to the lord with the expectation of many many more to follow that the jew in faith would offer the first knowing that god would provide so much more. Its fulfillment has to do with Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the Lord. And that Jesus was the first to be resurrected with many, many more to follow. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20-23. through 23. This is the chapter on the resurrection. In verse 20 it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one is in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ's, Christ at his coming. And so again, we've got this rich picture once more. There was the day of rest. The day of rest, it was interrupted by sin. There's the Passover, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And because he did that, we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. No longer do we have to deal with sin and that Jesus dealt with our sin. And it's because of that, because he was resurrected from the dead. Now I know because of those things, I'll be resurrected from the dead as well. One day you're going to hear about it. Pastor Mike dropped dead. Boom. Dead as a doornail. He assumed room temperature. They drug him out and they stuck him in a hole but that's just the carcass. Mike isn't there. He's not going to be in that hole. Mike's going to be in the presence of God because we're told in the Scriptures, absent from the body, present from the Lord. It's a great hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as truly as Christ was resurrected, we will be resurrected as well. Then we have the Feast of Pentecost, verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that... You brought the sheaf of wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as burnt offerings to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest and you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap of the corners of your field. When you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest, you shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord, your God. Okay, we've got this feast of Pentecost. Okay, so we've got rest. Rest was interrupted by sin. And because rest was interrupted by sin, we needed the Passover, a lamb had to die. And because the lamb died, now we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread and that sin has been dealt with. And then we have the Feast of first fruits, because surely as Christ was raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead as well. Then Pentecost, well, if we know the New Testament at all, we understand and know what that points to. It points to the sending of the Holy Spirit. And really, what is key, I believe, is that last paragraph, verse 22 is a paragraph unto itself, it speaks of the ministry to others. It's part about not not harvesting all of everything, but leaving something for the poor that the poor would be ministered to. And the idea is, is that it's not about me any longer, it's about the Spirit who dwells inside of me, for the benefit of the others. And so just as surely as the others were rich in their typology, so is the Feast of Pentecost. The fulfillment again, the sending of the Holy Spirit, who through the witness of the church reconciles both Jew and Gentile to God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14-15, through 15, For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And he's speaking of one man in Christ, either Jew or Gentile. So again, man had peace. Sin entered in, it was necessary for something to die. So we have the Passover. Because of the Passover, sin had been dealt with. And then we see the first fruits. Christ, who had died, will be resurrected from the dead. Then Pentecost, the sending of the Holy Spirit, and so that the two the two would become one. One child in God. And as that is the case, we see again, we see the richness of these feasts that leads us to the next one. The next one is the Feast of Trumpets. Verse 23, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, that you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of the blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. The blowing of the shofar. There is this trumpet that blows. Trumpet that blows. Well, all of these feasts had to be done throughout the year in order. The beginning of the year was the Passover. It was in the year. I'm sorry, the month of Nisan. That was the beginning of the year. So all of these feasts would have to go in order. It's all spelled out. Because we had a rest, but then sin entered in. It was necessary that the Lamb die, so there's the Passover. Unleavened bread speaks that sin was dealt with, but that Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, He's the first fruit. He's going to be resurrected. Then as Jesus said, when He died and went into heaven and was with the Father, He was going to send the Holy Spirit that enables us for the work of ministry. But then there's going to come that time. Because you see, the Feast of Trumpets is the first of the fall feasts or the autumn feasts. So the feasts just before, they symbolize the beginning, as we're seeing here, of the church age. Summer, Summer, there was no feast in the midst of the summer. They would be the church age. And what happens at the end of the church age? There's the blowing of the trumpet. The blowing of the trumpet would announce the coming judgment of God. The cleansing of sins, the resurrection of the dead, and the coming of Messiah and His King in His kingdom. We can see the blowing of the trumpet in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 4. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51, through to the end, behold, I tell you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put in incorruption and this mortal must put in immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because of these things, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. man was resting. Sin entered in. The lamb had to die, but because he died, sin was removed. First fruits, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was resurrected, and because he was resurrected, we know we will be resurrected as well. Since he was resurrected, he sent the spirit and it was proof of his resurrection. And we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's for not our benefit so much, but for the benefits of the others so that we would speak the word of God. But there's going to come a time in the church age where a trumpet sounds. And at that sounding of the trumpet, we are all going to be removed. At that point, at that moment, there will be no believers left here on earth. What about Israel? What about the Jew today? Well, we have the Day of Atonement next. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the Day of Atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening you shall celebrate your Sabbath. The Day of Atonement was for repentance, forgiveness, and remembrance. It is the Feast of Trumpets, or if the Feast of Trumpets is the rapture, then what would the Day of Atonement be? Well, again, the day, the church age, specifically, generally, I guess, not specifically, but generally, is God's attention turned towards the Gentile. Jews were still being saved, though, obviously, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's going to be the rapture of the church and enter into the time of tribulation. During the time of tribulation, the Lord's attention is focused back upon Israel. The Gentile will still be saved, but nonetheless, we see that God's focus is back towards the Jew. We see this in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. Paul says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Certain things that we're told not to be ignorant of and we are not to be ignorant of Israel's place in theology that you not be ignorant of this mystery, least you be wise in your own opinion. And there's been people who've done great damage theologically to Israel because they were wise in their own opinion. Lest you be wise in your own opinion, own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. That would be the end of the church age or the rapture. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now when it says all Israel will be saved does not mean that all Jews will be saved. But who is Israel? Those who believe in the promises of God in faith such as Abraham did. All of those will be saved. And so again, Man was resting, sin entered in. It was necessary for something to die. So we have the Passover, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, was killed. Unleavened bread, it speaks of the sin that was done away with. First fruits shows us that that Lamb did not stay in the grave, but was resurrected. And so we will be resurrected as well. Pentecost speaks of the sending of the Holy Spirit because that way we know that the Lord truly was resurrected. He also ascended into heaven and sent the Spirit just as He said. And now that enables us in our witness. But one day, there's going to be a trumpet. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, God is going to take away the church, pull us out, and it's going to start the time of tribulation. Tribulation, but also, God's attention is back towards nation Israel, and we're going to see witnesses, and we're going to see 144,000, and God's going to do a mighty work in the lives of the Jews. And then, there's going to be the Feast of Tabernacles. Verses 33-44. through 44 to take a breath. Okay. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations to an offer an offering made by fire to the Lord: a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and a drink offering, everything on its day, besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all of your vows, and besides all of your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. Also, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month. When you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. And on the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest. And on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. So if we follow through our pattern, when will this feast come to fruition? Well, what did Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you. We have that permanent dwelling place. Really, its fulfillment is in the millennial age. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. It's going to be that time when all of God's people are dwelling together in holy unity. So, man was resting, sin entered in. Because sin entered in, a lamb needed to die. But once the lamb died, sin was dealt with. But as a proof of that, we saw the resurrection of the Lord, the first fruits. And because the Lord was resurrected, we will be resurrected as well. Pentecost. Pentecost speaks of the proof of that resurrection that just as Jesus said, He sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who enables us in our ministry. And then one day in the midst of our ministry, if we're still here, there's going to be the blowing of the trumpet. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the church will be taken away. The Day of Atonement speaks of God's attention back towards nation Israel, and He's going to do an amazing work back towards the Jew. And then there's going to come that time, the millennial age, and even later on when we have a new heaven and earth, that we will dwell with the Lord forever. Just in this one chapter. There's the whole gospel. The whole gospel is right there. It was right there. There they are. They got all this law and everything, and God is laying out for them the whole gospel. And we just see from page to page to page is the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of grace of God. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance, the substance is Christ. And Father, we just thank You that, Lord, You sent the Son. And we see Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And we see the fulfillment of Your Word and the fulfillment of Your law. And it makes such sense that Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will ever pass away. And so, Father... We just thank you for this plan and, Lord, that you have made us part of it. I thank you, Father, for, Lord, just the, the, the unity of your word and how it just flows together. And so, Father, we just lift ourselves up here tonight as we gain understanding, as we compare Scripture with Scripture. And, Father, I pray that we would just see through that the magnitude of the great love which you have for your people, the magnitude of the great love which you have for us as individuals. And so Father, I lift up those who have come out tonight that you would watch over and keep them, that you would bless them, bring them home safe, give them a night of rest, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we all stand, please?